Now let's pray together for God's help as we look at his word. Let's pray. Father, we praise you so much for this amazing privilege we have to have this word open in front of us. And Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who inspired this word and the same Holy Spirit who this afternoon will make this word live for us. So Father, we pray that your spirit would come and would help us, that we might hear your voice to us and that we might know what it is to obey you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what you make of a story uh, about Jesus healing a man of leprosy. I don't know if you think that's got anything to do with you uh, this afternoon. I mean, I guess if you've come to church this afternoon suffering from leprosy, then you're going to see a direct relevance to you. And, and you may well be like, oh, this is, this is great. This is for me. But my guess is that quite a few of us don't have leprosy this afternoon. And therefore, we may struggle to see what's the point of this? What's this got to do with me? Perhaps this is just telling me that Jesus is nice. And uh, this is nice, isn't it? Jesus heals a man. That's nice. Jesus is a nice man. We can all like Jesus and say, isn't he nice? And we can sing, Jesus' hands are kind hands, doing good to all. And we can be nice. But I want to show you that actually we can't, we can't stop there. Just look at the way the man asks the question to Jesus. And you will immediately see there's something much bigger going on here than simply Jesus healing a man of leprosy. Have a look at what the man says in the very first verse that was read, Mark chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him, came to Jesus, and he begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's a weird word for this man to use. That's not the word I'd use. I would use the word, if you're willing, you can make me better. You can make me well. You can fix me. But this man says, no, the issue here is cleanness. Now, that's what I want us to get our heads around this afternoon. Actually, what this story is all about is about being clean. Now, what does that mean? Well, being clean, as far as I can work out, is all to do with being acceptable. Being accepted. We all crave acceptance, don't we? We all want to be accepted by people. You know what it's like? You turn up in a new city, like London, and you meet a load of new people, and you, you want to be accepted. No one wants to be kind of like rejected and shut out. We all want to be accepted. And clean means acceptable. Now, we, we kind of know this is true, don't we? So, uh, when you're looking for a shirt, and you know, you're getting up late, it's, you're running late, and you're late for, you know, you, you got up at half seven, you're late for work, or if you're a student, you got up at half nine and you're late for your lecture. And you, you know, you're running late and you, you grab the nearest shirt you can find and you say, is it clean? By which, and you, basically your judgment is, I smell it, yeah? And you go, well, it seems all right. What you're asking is, I, I may be speaking more to the, the guys, I appreciate, but um, what, what you're basically asking in that moment is not does this shirt meet a standard of health and hygiene that would be acceptable to government officials? What you're asking in that moment is, can I get away with this? <laughs> is this acceptable? Or am I going to be rejected if I wear this? And we, the problem is we have our different standards of cleanliness. So can you eat food that's fallen on the floor? Right, okay, hang on. 
Now, this is going to be interesting, all right? Because there's a rule, isn't there? There's a rule. Okay, right, now, what is the rule? Right, now, let that, now this is my point. There is, everybody knows there's a rule about food on the floor. But how long is it? Five seconds. Three. See? A higher standard of cleanliness. Ten. Yes, you see? There we go. <laughs> now listen. The point is, okay, we all have this sense of what is acceptable and we all have this sense of cleanliness but it's kind of a sliding scale and it's kind of slightly arbitrary. I always thought it was 30 seconds, but there we go. Um, we want to win people's approval. Now, what we've got to see this, this afternoon is that cleanness, when it comes to the Bible, this idea of being clean is a loaded word. It is a theologically loaded word. By which I mean, it is a word that we cannot understand unless we understand God. It is a word that is all to do with God. And I'm going to show you this afternoon that even though we may have our kind of sliding scale of cleanness from 3 seconds to 30 or whatever it might be, actually clean, according to the Bible, is not an arbitrary scale. It is not a subjective thing. It is an objective thing. It is an actual thing. Something is either clean or it's not. That's the way it works. Now, our culture, I think, is increasingly interested in this idea of being clean. And I don't just mean physically clean. I mean, people have a sense of wanting to detox. I mean, what's that about? That is about trying to make myself clean. There are now, if you go just down the road down there, there's a restaurant with a big poster in the window that's advertising food, and it advertises it as super clean food. It's quinoa. I mean, what, what is that? I've never even heard of that. No one was interested in quinoa until someone decided it was a super clean food. Super clean? Oh, perhaps I should get some. It will clean me up from the inside. So we are interested in cleanness. We are interested in trying to make ourselves acceptable, trying to get rid of stuff that's bad and trying to kind of get stuff that will make us acceptable and make us fit in. But we need to see that we're looking in the wrong place. And here is a man who is profoundly aware that he is unclean. He is in absolutely no doubt about it. It's not like he's going, oh, well, I wonder if I've been on the floor too long, you know, 30 seconds. Here is a man who says, I know I'm unclean. He comes absolutely unclean. And that's the first thing I, I, I want us just to see, uh, is the devastation of uncleanness. Right, let's, let's get into this, okay? In the Bible, cleanness is all about God. So here, here is the point. God is the one who is utterly pure in every way. He is utterly clean. There is nothing in God which is spoiling or tainting or distorting him. He is clean in every way. Now, that is what makes him so staggeringly good. Can you picture something that is absolutely pure? 
God is staggeringly good and he's staggeringly beautiful because he's pure. And yet, if you think about when you see something that's very pure, it's also slightly unnerving. In fact, it's more than that, it's slightly terrifying. And here is God, the God who is, the Bible talks about him being of burning purity, burning holiness. That's what the word holy means, utterly pure. And he is beautiful and yet he's terrifying. But the Bible says that God is so pure he cannot even look upon evil. Imagine you were too invited around to my house for dinner. And um, you open the front, you have to imagine, this is a lot of imagining. I mean, not that I invite you for dinner, you're very welcome to come, to come for dinner. <laughs> but imagine you came to my house for dinner and as, as I open the door, my house is utterly pure in every way. There is a pure white carpet in the hallway with not, a t- not the tiniest little stain or blemish on it. And all the, the sofas are pure white and everything's clean. It's utterly pure. Would you feel relaxed as you walked in? You just trodden in some dog muck on the way in and you kind of say, oh, there's something slightly scary about cleanness, isn't there? Can you see that purity is a beautiful and yet also terrifying thing? And our nervousness in the face of purity is that I don't think I'm pure. I think I'm going to mess it up. I think I'm going to spoil it. Let me give you a really... I I really want you to understand this. Let me give you a clear example of this from the Bible. I'm going to put some words on the screen. Um, And this was the experience of a man called Isaiah. Um, And Isaiah had exactly this sort of experience with God. Let me read this to you. And I want you to try and picture it in your head. Uh, as I read, Isaiah chapter 6, and listen to what we're told. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. What is the reaction? The reaction is not, oh, this is lovely. Isn't this beautiful? Look at Isaiah's reaction. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. Why? For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips lips and my eyes have seen the king the lord almighty it's just quite striking isn't it an experience a true experience of the reality of god leaves me aware of how unclean i am now i wonder if we've lost that sense of awe when it comes to god do you have you ever ever felt anything of that absolute awe almost verging on, yes, terror of the purity, the burning purity of God. I think it's a very surprising thing in the Bible, surprising to our culture, how often people are shut out of God's presence. 
But of course you have to. If something is pure, the only way for it to remain pure is for anything that's impure to be shut out away from it. I did a chemistry degree back many years ago and I spent a, a year working in a lab and we worked with glove boxes. They are the most weird thing ever. Right? Basically, the, I mean, it's exactly what it sounds like. There's a box which is all sealed and then there's these big plastic gloves that stick out and you kind of go whoop, like this and you do all your experiments in this glove box because nothing impure can get in there and spoil it. And that's the point. There's this, if something is pure... It must exclude anything that's unclean. It can't just say, you know, that little experiment, I can't just say, oh, well, it's fine, let's put a donut in there, it'll be all right. No, because the donut's contaminated, it must be kept out. Purity, in its very essence, excludes impurity. It must force anything that's not clean out. And that's the point with God. If God truly is holy and pure and perfect, then anything that's not holy, pure and perfect must be excluded and pushed out of his presence. That is what this man who came to Jesus in Mark chapter 1 is saying, I am unclean. Now we're going to turn to um, a chapter, and I'd love you to turn to this, if you don't mind, uh, in Leviticus. Now I appreciate this is not a chapter that we're, (laughs) a passage that we often go to, but Leviticus 13 I want to show you how devastating uncleanness is. Okay? Leviticus 13. Uh, Sorry, uh, page 113. That would have been helpful. Page 113, Leviticus 13. And this is the sort of passage that you think, oh, this is a pretty boring old passage about a bit of old thing. Um, Until you remember that this bloke who's Kneeling before Jesus, he's had to go through this. This, is, this has been his experience, right? So it, this is personal. So listen, right? We're not going to read the whole thing because it's massive. But Le- Leviticus 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin that may be a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin and if the hair in the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it is a defiling skin disease. When the priest examines the person, he shall pronounce them ceremonially unclean. So here's the man. He wakes up one day and he's, he's got a spot on his skin. And he kind of covers it, but it doesn't go away and it kind of gets bigger. Do you see how horrific this is as the spot spreads and he goes to the priest and he shows the priest and all the priest can do is say you're unclean you're unclean perhaps he's married perhaps he's got kids he's unclean turn to the end of Leviticus 13 I I want you to see the devastation of this okay Leviticus 13, verse 45. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. 
Can't you feel the devastation? This is what uncleanness does. It means you live alone outside the camp. That's what that red mark on his arm means. I'm unclean. To be unclean is devastating. And this man has lived with this uncleanness. We don't know how long he's lived with it. But his relationships have been destroyed. His community has been destroyed. His family has been destroyed. He is a desperate man. He's broken. He's utterly broken. And that is why when he comes to Jesus, he doesn't bowl up to Jesus going, all right, Jesus, could you help me? Even to dare to approach Jesus is doing something he should not be doing. And he falls on his knees before Jesus. He is broken. And he begs him. Gee, I've got nowhere else to turn, Jesus. I know you can make me... Are you willing to make me clean? Now, I want to say that the reason God gave this law about uncleanness, because perhaps you might say to me, and I've thought this a lot this week, and it's really bugged me this week, this seems pretty harsh. Poor bloke, he's just got ill. Why is he getting excluded? It's because God wants his people to understand the seriousness of uncleanness. And he gives them a picture of leprosy or of skin disease because he wants them to understand that actually the problem is something that's in all of us. The Bible makes very clear that all of us, we may not have a spot on our skin but we have a sickness in our heart. And as you go through Mark's gospel, you discover Jesus saying, it's out of, out of men's hearts come uncleanness. It's out of the heart comes sexual immorality and lust and evil desires and greed. It's out of the heart. And if you can understand, if you felt anything of that man's pain, and if you felt anything of that man's desperation... That should be your reaction before God. But it's not, is it? Because we don't see it. Because it's not as obvious to us. Because our heart, because we, we can put on this nice face and we can put on a clean shirt and we can eat clean wire and we can pretend we're clean. And we're not. And if we could see, like Isaiah saw, Actually, we would fall on our knees before Jesus. And we'd say, I'm, I'm unclean. I deserve to be shut out. I deserve to be outside, away from the God who made me. Do you, do you feel it? I wonder if you've ever known what it is to beg. Or to fall on your knees before someone. To be so desperate some of you some of you sitting here I don't have to convince you this is true some of you you feel utterly unworthy even being in church this afternoon you don't even feel like you deserve to be here but some of us we've put on a great act we've covered ourselves up and we're acting like we're not that bad this man is a model to us of how to approach Jesus to come on our knees and to beg him. 
Now, I appreciate at this point you may be thinking, well, this is like the most depressing afternoon I've ever had in my life. Why did I come to church? I've been told so far that God is terrifying. I thought he was like really nice and loving and friendly, but actually it turns out he's terrifying and he wants to exclude me and shut me away outside forever. I'm really glad I came. Well, I want you to look at the very next word. Look at verse 41. This is stunning. Look at this. As Jesus, here is Jesus, okay? He's the eternal son of God. The man, the unclean man is on the floor in front of him. And Jesus' reaction, look at it. Jesus was indignant. Isn't that like odd? What an odd word. He's not indignant because he's thinking, well, who, how dare you come to me? That's not what he's indignant about. He is indignant about what sin has done to this world. He's indignant that this precious man who he loves should be shut out and should be unclean. It moves him. And so here is the God of all holiness, of burning holiness, and yet he's moved by the fact that people are unclean. It bothers him. It, it moves him. And so my second big thing I want you to see is the declaration that changes everything. And now look, 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 look. This is, this is so wonderfully beautiful. Jesus was indignant. Here's the man kneeling on the floor. He's probably expecting, I don't know what he's expecting. He's desperate. My guess is he's not looking at Jesus. If you're kneeling before someone, you don't look at them, right? What is the very next thing he feels? He feels someone touch him. He can't remember the last time someone touched him. No one touches him. To touch a man with leprosy means you're in danger of becoming infected yourself. It makes you unclean. It makes you unfit for God. That's a shocking thing to do. And yet suddenly he's like, what is that on my shoulder? He's he's touching me. And then, what he says I am willing he said be clean remember in the Old Testament the only thing the priest could do in the Old Testament was to declare you unclean here is the one who has power to declare you clean isn't that stunning Jesus can say to this man yes I'm willing Be clean. And look, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. He is utterly transformed by this declaration of Jesus. Can you even begin to imagine what that must feel like? His whole life given back to him. And Jesus immediately, look, he sends him at once with a strong warning. See, you don't tell this to anyone. Go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. He sends him right back to the priest who declared him unclean and says, you go show him you're clean. He sends him right back into the relationship, back into the heart of the community to say you are restored and you are back in relationship. You are now fit for God. What a transformation. And Jesus did it 
with a word. He spoke, be clean. And the man was clean. And I want you to know this afternoon that when you understand and when you feel a sense of that brokenness, Jesus, when we feel that sense and we bow before Jesus, Jesus says, be clean. Do you know the very next thing that Isaiah experienced? Isaiah is his face down. Woe to me, I'm unclean, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Suddenly, he hears a voice that says, see, your sin has been taken away. It's gone. And whatever it is that defiles you, and whatever it is that makes you unclean, and whatever, many of us in this room, we, we have things that we feel deeply guilty for. Maybe even things we've done this week, things that we know we've stuffed up, we know we've done wrong, we know we've failed, and we feel rubbish about it. Here's the thing, Jesus immediately takes it away. He immediately transforms us from being unclean to being clean. It's that simple. We want to make it more complicated. We want to kind of do a ritual. You know, we we, we want to kind of perform a dance. We don't want to perform a dance. I don't know know why I, I thought that. But we want to do something. We want to make it about us. And yet there's nothing we need to do. Jesus just says, you're clean. And I reckon many of us in this room, we struggle to believe that's really true. We struggle to believe we're really forgiven. There are some um, places in in um, in the Psalms, like the Psalms is full of prayers, and some of them are written by a guy called David. And some of them say stuff like this: "All right, God, I pray to you according to my righteousness." It says things like, I've not sinned, I, I, I am righteous in your eyes. And we read those and we think, oh, I don't know if I can pray that. Listen, yes, you can. That's the radical thing that Jesus has done. You are genuinely clean. And therefore, you can take those prayers because your sin has been taken away. There is nothing there. It's not just that God says, well, let's pretend it's not there. It's not there anymore. The man with leprosy, he wasn't just given a coat to wear. Jesus didn't say, look, put this big overall on and then you could probably fool people. Jesus said, you go and do all the rituals. You go and show him, look, look at my arms. Can you imagine him running around going, look, it's all gone, everything's gone. And if we can understand, that's what Jesus does when he takes away our sin and if we feel that our hearts are dirty, then we just have to see Jesus as the one who cleanses our hearts. But perhaps you would say, this all sounds far too easy. There's one more thing I want to show you. And I want to show you, and this is going to sound weird, <laughs> but I really want, this is, this is like the big thing I want to get across to you today, okay? Um, we've seen the devastating impact of uncleanness. We've seen the declaration that changes everything. I now want to show you the doctrine that underpins all of this. This is not some nice story. This is not some fluffy, oh yes, Jesus comes along and says, oh yes, be clean, like a fairy godmother going, ding, ding. I want to show you that actually there is a doctrine. There is a truth. There is a, 
a theology, a whole massive thing that lies behind this story. And we're going to go... I want to take you deep into this story and show you what's really going on. If I, if I decide to uh, wash the floor, okay, let's, let's do some cleaning, basic cleaning things. For those of you who perhaps have never really done much cleaning before in your life, let me t- give you some cleaning tips. Here's my number one, the biggest cleaning tip. If I've got a dirty floor, what do I need? I need something that is very, very clean. Yes, clean water. Yes, that's the only way to make a dirty thing clean is to have clean water. Right. Now, when I, as I mop the dirty floor, what happens to the floor? It gets clean. What happens to the water? It gets dirty. Now, I want you to understand That is what is happening in this story. Here is the theology that underpins it. This is why it's no magic make-believe. Here is Jesus, utterly clean. We saw two weeks ago that when God looked at him, he said, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. He's not excluded, he is welcomed. Here's the son. Here is the man, outside, alone, Dirty. Why is it so important Jesus touched him? Because as Jesus touched the man, Jesus took his uncleanness. Now, you may say, really? Are you sure? Look, where does Jesus end the story? What does it say? What does Mark tell us? Where does Jesus end up at the end of this story? Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. He's outside and he's alone. Do you get it? The outside alone one has been sent back right into the inside. And the inside one, the clean one, is now suffering and experiencing the outsideness and the aloneness. This is a doctrine that lies at the very heart of everything that we believe as Christians. That Jesus came to swap places. He came to be our substitute. This is what the Bible, this is what theologians mean when they talk about imputation, right? Imputation means this dirt that belonged to this man was transferred and imputed and counted as Christ's and Jesus' cleanness was transferred and given to the man. The man went back into the town carrying Jesus' cleanness. Not his own. Can you see that? Here is what is happening. That's why Jesus says to him, uh, go show you, you know, don't tell everyone and blah, blah, blah. Go offer the sacrifice, fulfill the law. But because the man goes out and speaks freely, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. He's told everyone what's happened. It's not just that he's become... I think often we read that and we think, oh, it's just because he's become really, really popular and therefore he can't go into the town. That can't be true because a few days later, chapter 2, verse 1, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, 
Now Jesus has become ceremonially unclean, therefore he must for a few days bear the uncleanness of being outside and alone. This is what Jesus came to do. When Jesus touched the leper, he sentenced himself to exclusion and aloneness. Right now, and this is where it blows, blows, blows your mind, all right? How can Jesus make you clean? If you felt the filth, if you felt how wrong and how much you've done that's not right, and if you feel dirty, how can Jesus make you clean? I tell you, it's because he touches you. And as he touches you, your sin is imputed, is transferred to Christ, and Jesus' righteousness and cleanness is given to you. And so where does Jesus end up in Mark's Gospel? He ends up hanging dead on a cross outside Jerusalem, outside the city, alone. As he dies, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you excluded me? Why am I shut out from your presence? Because he's got my sin. Because my filth has been transferred to him and he's suffering what I deserve. It's falling on him and he's dying alone for me so that I can be clean. That's what Mark wants us to see about Jesus. This kingdom that Jesus has come to establish is not a kingdom where you have to perform. It's not a kingdom where you have to say, let me see if I can make myself clean. It's not a kingdom where you have to show off how great you are and put on nice clothes. It's a kingdom where you have to admit you need saving. It's a kingdom where you have to admit you need Jesus. This is heaven. This is just beautiful. This is the kingdom. And perhaps there's two ways I think we need to respond to this this afternoon. Perhaps some of us, we've never, you know, we, we, perhaps we know what it feels like to feel guilty. We feel a bit dirty, but we've never really understood this before. This afternoon, perhaps you need to come to Jesus, like, like that man, and say, Jesus, wow, would you make me clean? And I guarantee you, Jesus will say, yes, yes, I'll make you clean. This afternoon, all of your sin taken away forever by this wonderful King Jesus. But perhaps there's some of us, and perhaps there's many of us, who know this stuff, and we know this story, but we've lost any sense of joy in it. We've lost any sense of excitement. We, we kind of... We don't really feel how bad we are. We kind of think, oh, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. I've done some naughty things. But we don't feel it like Isaiah felt it. We, we don't know that brokenness like this man. And perhaps for some of us, we need to simply pray this afternoon. Father, would you show me? Would you show me more of this? Help me to understand it. Help me to feel it, to know it, to delight in it, and to find my joy in it. I mean, what a king. We're, we're going to pray together. Um, and we're going to thank him. This is, this is the king that, we, that we're all about as Globe Church. This is the king we love. I love him because he took my filth. 
So let's pray together. Um, and then we're going to sing to respond. Heavenly Father, we, we ask that we might get a glimpse of your burning purity. That we might see how utterly beautiful and perfect and pure you are. Even this afternoon, Father, that we might experience that, that we might know it, that we might not think that we're doing okay, that we might not compare ourselves to others and think, well, I'm not as unclean as them, but that we might feel and and be broken by our own uncleanness. But as we're broken, we pray that we would know that wonderful touch of Jesus, that we would have utter confidence that Jesus makes us clean. Oh, Father, help us to worship you now in our next few minutes together. Help us to celebrate this, to enjoy this, to delight in it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.